0: This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. Hey, Cultivated listeners. I couldn't be more excited to have my guests today be Skip and Tim Shell Mathini from Roman Candle.
1: He seems to have the whole morning out right in front of him And everything he sings from the branch that he's sitting on It seems to hustle leaves and the colors all around Now first he sings and then he goes And what it means, it's hard to know
0: Harbor Media, you're listening to Cultivated, conversations about faith and work. Today, it's Roman Candle Day, the band you're listening to right now, whose song we've been using as our theme song. We talk about being a husband and wife in a band, about why so much of Christian music sucks, and about how their faith has changed and shifted over the years. And we'll get to listen to some of their music along the way.
2: on an Outward Bound program in the High Sierras. I was going to be a senior in high school and Skip was Moorhead at Carolina and that was part of the Moorhead scholarship. So we met there and just immediately hit it off as really good friends and then Went home and tried to date other people and call each other. And we're like, we should get married.
3: We were total babies, though. I mean, <laughs> oh. like, yeah, I was, I mean, she was 17, I was 18. So we were, yeah. I mean, no we were absolute yeah. babies. And yeah, it was the summer before my freshman year in college. And we met in the Fresno airport. Like, that was where you met. <laughs> then you went into the Mount Whitney country or whatever and hiked for three weeks. And wow. Outward Bound is they're all about no exclusive relationships. You
0: know, like, uh, <laughs> yeah.
3: when we didn't have an exclusive relationship on Outward Bound, it was sort of leaving after that.
0: We yeah. realized that, wow. So how long between meeting and saying, let's get married? Oh, like
2: maybe
3: three
0: months. <laughs> yeah. And we were, which is
2: really unlike both of us. Like, we right. were, well, you were probably more primed to get married young, but I was like anti marriage thinking way down the line, but yeah. it was kind of undeniable. And so oh. we always hesitate to tell people that because we got married at 19 and 20. And for the first five years, we were like, everyone should get married young. And then we were like, that's not true.
0: So my wife and I's story is almost identical. We met because she was dating my best friend when I was a junior. They went to prom together. And this guy and I, we've been friends for 25 years, we're still friends. Yeah. We had these really awkward prom pictures of my wife and him together. (laughs) And then, like a year later, when we were eighteen, we started dating. And like three months into dating, we were like, "We didn't really need to get married." And of course, our families freak out. (laughs) That's so good. And then I would say the exact same thing. Like, we got married at nineteen, and for the first five years, we're like, "Everybody should get married." (laughs) And now we look at it and we see kids that are like 19 and we're like, oh, my gosh, you're an idiot. Don't yeah. do it. Don't do it. Yeah. yeah, it totally works
2: for some people. I'm yeah. Thank God it worked for us. For sure.
0: But it's so tough. <laughs> it's yeah. really tough. When did music come into each of your lives?
2: You kept telling me even when we were dating that you wanted well, to be a rock star. Look, and I didn't go go take back him seriously. The, go <laughs> <my> <laughs> I wouldn't have married him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never would have married
3: <laughs> That's true. Especially knowing you <laughs> now. I'm glad, like, that, be rock and roll I'm glad you didn't leave me.
2: Uh-uh. I never would have gone for that. I
3: mean, I think you should say before you've met me.
2: I don't know where music is in my history. I mean, I'm just like a lover of music and I was a writer. He was playing a ton of music and I played music all growing up, but I mm-hmm. never thought that I wanted to be in a band or anything. And then when we got our first record deal, we were up all night writing records and it was like well, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this together because this just wouldn't work with two separate things.
0: Did Roman Candle start with just just you? Just
3: Logan and
1: Skip.
3: Yeah, well, going back to when we... My dad was a musician, like a jazz musician in the mountains of North Carolina, which is a hot jazz scene for the most part. (laughs) (laughs) He was an engineer, like a studio engineer, and he was a band director in high school. He just did a lot of music stuff off and on for his whole life. He wasn't like a touring musician when we were kids. And in fact, he was sort of like against the idea. And he still is a music minister and, you know, like... Hmm. But he'd sort of played in bars his younger days, and was like, "Yeah, I kind of want to protect you guys from that." Yeah, so we started playing music when we were in high school. We moved kind of out into the country from like a neighborhood in Mm -hmm. the town we lived in. That was great, actually, because we kind of Logan and I as friends, like as brothers, like kind of became better friends because we didn't have people to hang out with, and we just started playing music in the basement, and that was. And we got a four track, and you know, kind of imagine how that unfolds, but.
0: I think it's one of the things that people don't even think about, those experiences of making a record on a four track as a kid like you learn so much. Yeah. You need those early stages. You know, I think a lot of people think, well if we just play music, someday someone's going to come along and get me signed, but it's really the grind of like starting when you're a kid and
1: Oh yeah,
3: and it's making really bad demos, writing bad songs that allows you to kind of Listen back and go because you think it's really good the first time you're doing like this is great man <laughs> I think this is something here and then like then you you go and listen to anything else right. than, than that one bad cassette tape and you go. Oh man, what we just did is awful. There's nothing worse out there, I think. You know, like then (laughs) I think that's such an essential piece of getting anywhere with writing.
2: And you kept saying like you wanted to be a songwriter and he's a year ahead of me in school. And so we kinda were gonna have a year where he would just be waiting anyways. I was like, You should take a semester off and write songs and see Mm. if this is like something you can actually do if you can write songs. So that went over super well with his dad. (laughs) And that did not go over well. But you took a year off and wrote songs that year. And then my senior year, we went home to his parents' house and recorded them that whole year. And then when we graduated, we actually moved back to Portland and we're like, we got internships at Mojo and in Q and Q and yeah. we're going to just go over and write and try to just like serve coffee for them. And September 11th happened and they kind of froze all we like the time. we were leaving
3: on September the 13th yeah. or something.
2: So we just stayed and worked in Portland and got a record deal like three months later.
3: Wow. We had just got out of college and I was driving a forklift in a plumbing warehouse and Tim Schell was washing dishes in like an art college. And then
1: <laughs> we <laughs> like had our music on
3: like garageband.com and, and yeah. uh, this is a wacky story, but like how we got a record deal was a current NFL player at that time, who's now retired, his name was Trevor Price, and he was looking to create a record label and he really loved the band Gorillas. He was like, I want to find a band like Gorillas." I don't know how he landed on us and our demos. We didn't sound like... I don't know, it sounded like we listened to, like, our DJ biggest Shadow influence was, like, DJ was, Shadow yeah. back then. Yeah. We didn't, I mean, we didn't even know anything about Sample. I thought DJ Shadow played all the stuff on that yeah. record for the most part, <laughs> except for the actual, like, voices. I was like, sure. wow, you know, that was our big, like, like to make the drums sound like this. And so, like, he said that that sort of what drew, yeah, but we got an email. This is, like, in an AOL account that, like, was on our website. It was like, hey, I'm starting a record label. I play for the Denver Broncos. And we are like spam and like we didn't <laughs> you know we wrote him back. we wrote him back because it did seem like a real person had written the email but i was like this is totally not real and i didn't have a cell phone or anything and he, i was like mm-hmm. if you want to call me i didn't believe it was going to happen I, was like, I work at this warehouse you can call me on my <laughs> lunch break at noon you know and i got a oh. phone call It came with there and come like, yeah, you got a phone call and i was just like that's not tim show you just have a phone where she works you know so any it was this guy's he like hey my name is trevor price and it was like <laughs> it was real and then uh-huh. yeah yeah. That's a long wacky story that yeah. I still remember sitting in the Waffle House in Wilkesboro, telling my dad. He's like, "If you quit school, you're not going to go back to school." And I was like, "No, I'll totally go back to school. <laughs> I, 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 and I, I'll get a you job. Did. I'm just going to write." So I did too. Um, I got my degree. <laughs> but um, anyway, we wrote those. Songs we wrote those Atlanta. songs. It started to go home and record them. And then when we were both out of school. Logan was still in school, and so he'd come home on the weekends. But we were staying at my parents' house in the basement. Recording, that's where our studio was. We'd been building up that studio for a while and had like, Mm -hmm. you know, Really ridiculous digital gear that was like, you know, it was the best we could afford at the time. And like, you know, sure. you're trying to like do these inboard effects and these seven thirty things. And you're like, but oh, that's that kind of beautiful.
2: Good. I liked having less options. Like once we got Pro Tools, I didn't like that at all. I yeah. like not being like, this doesn't even make a sound. Let's see if we can make it make some neat sound. You right. know, that was fun.
3: Yeah, the limitations was definitely our advantage at that point. but
2: Trevor sent us all this gear to Skip's parents' house in Wilkesboro. And Logan was still living in North Carolina. So they opened it up and they didn't know how to even use it. Wow. So oh, he was yeah. like in three months have a record done. It was like three months. It was a really short time. Yeah, it was actually six
3: weeks. Yeah, and mm. so
2: we learned it the gear and made the record. Yeah, yeah.
3: it was like all this legit outboard gear. That we still have. It's still like yeah. very, I mean, it's probably like. $20,000 worth of outward gear that we'd never seen. It. Religious studio stuff is like two knobs and one yeah. switch and you're like, right. I don't know what this does. I don't know. Yeah. So that <laughs> was... only three things here and yeah. I not know any of them do. I think it took yeah. us three weeks it to figure out how to though, use it and better. then we made the first record that we did like in the other three weeks. So we'd have yeah. the songs and but like, trying to
0: record it and use this stuff it was yeah. like insane. But when you guys have... Like, your production's pretty densely layered. I mean, there's a lot mm-hmm. going on in that. So I can imagine that was that felt like you had a gun against your head. Yeah. yeah, which it, is good.
2: That was good. It was super stressful, but funny it was
0: good. story. The funny thing
3: was is he said, like, I'm going to send you a bunch of gear. Use it to make your record. I like the sounds you're getting out of your basement. Do that. I'm just going to send you some better gear. And I'm going to come to your house. And this is <laughs> my parents' house in the mountains. Like, I'm going to come to your house after my last playoff game. If we lose to Indianapolis or whatever. And, like, I don't know what the—maybe I think it was that team. Colts, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, he, <laughs> it's so funny. Like, he and they yeah, they lost that game. I think he was still in the Broncos, then. And he left that game, flew to Charlotte. Like, we picked him up with like my mom and my dad in our car. <laughs>
2: Did we go to like
3: some ridiculous restaurant off the highway? And my parents live like in a place where the streetlights kind of stop, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, and then you're kind of still driving, and, and mm-hmm. it's, it's a little creepy. And then, like, you pull off on one road. And we'd never met this guy, and he'd never met us. And then we pulled off onto a dirt road, and I was driving. All right. All right. My parents in the back, Logan's in the back, Tim's in the back, and he's in the front seat, and he kind of like gripped his seat and goes, you didn't tell me you lived on the dirt road? And I was like, <laughs> I said, that's all right, man. It's only eight miles long, and it, it's only like a half mile long. He was yeah. eight
1: miles! And it
3: was great. Anyway, but he slept in my parents' bed like my parents slept in our bed. Yeah, it, was, it was nerve-wracking, yeah. but we got tight with Trevor. Yeah, Yeah,
0: we yeah that's amazing. Which record's that?
3: That uh, was says pop, pop that turned mm-hmm. into the We Are Review. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, the super long story short, we made that record and then he sold it later. Yeah, he tried to put it out, you know, and mm-hmm. kind of like got bored with running a record label because it's it's like it's so much know, work. Yeah. yeah, and also it was like the music business was starting to tank in general. So he was like, yeah. I'm jump ship and sold it to Hollywood, Hollywood which then we, we the We Are Review record we made on Hollywood. It got shelved three years later. V two bought it and put mm-hmm. it out. So it was by the time it came out in 2006, it was like. A very different record. record to us, but
0: mm-hmm. and did you guys tour on that record when you first put it out?
1: Yes, yeah, we
3: toured for like two or three years before it came out, and then after it came out, we kind of toured for 10 years off and on. And yeah. that record was like five years of that, I would guess. Mm-hmm.
1: As the night comes in, I watch the- Couldn't get away
0: Talk to me about kind of when faith becomes a part of your life. You grew up in the church, and you go. Yeah, I, I grew up in. I grew up in a. Uh, in a your dad was a music minister. Yeah, yeah,
3: and I grew up in the same bed of church my whole life. Had a great youth group. Youth pastor was Roy Dobbins. He was amazing. I had a great experience with that. I got to college, and I did not have any idea that theology was a thing. I, didn't, I mean, I never. I probably had never heard that word until I got to college. <laughs> or maybe in high school, you know, like, but like, sure. got to college and then started to. I started taking philosophy classes and sort of, like, learned that theology was a thing. And, like, there were thinkers like St. Augustine and, you know, mm-hmm. Duns Scotus and St. Thomas Aquinas. And, like, all these, like, you know, the Middle Ages was, like, a big... Uh, a big influence.
0: Yeah, pretty much. We,
3: we, we took, we, we took
0: a <laughs> Middle... Super
2: influenced by the Middle Ages. I'm super <laughs> influenced by the Middle Ages. I've had lapsed Catholic faith background. Okay. So, like, I'm the oldest of three and was baptized and confirmed and then... It just kind of was nothing that we did, being from the West Coast. I mean, there's plenty of wonderful Christians of all stripes on the West Coast, just not in my family. My dad was like a California surfer. Mm. That was just, that was very, very liberal. And we had a professor at Carolina, Dr. Kirkpatrick, our firstborn is actually named after him. And Mm. he was an English literature professor. And he just had a curiosity and an appetite and a wonder that was just infectious and unparalleled. And he was an incredible man. But he was a Catholic. But we, I mean, he we never had a job. Yeah. Looking back, you're like, obviously, that's everything that he was talking about. But mm. he just had such an appetite for everything, just, and that was really infectious. And so we came from really different backgrounds. And I think because of him, we're able to find a middle road. And so we became Catholic.
1: Yes. <laughs>
3: together. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. And like, yeah, I think the thing that was so great about him was all bets were on. There was mm. no. Yeah, nothing. You know, like, was you're raising off like the Southern ministers. There's a lot of like no dancing, no, you <laughs> know, like there's, like, you know, but it's like until you get out of that setup in your mind, like you don't think. Well, what's the consequences here? Like we went to college at UNC Chapel Hill, and we, you know, there was two Jewish people in Wilkesboro, right. and there were. You know, married. I mean, like, you know, they, that that I knew of, you know what I mean? Like, they had to go to Winston-Salem to go to synagogue. I don't know if they did that or not, but like, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the most diverse community ever. So, yeah, like, you know, you get to college and all of a sudden you start asking, like, wow, what does everything mean based on the first 18 years of my life? I have no idea. So, Mm. you know, Somehow Meeting.
2: we got married and without even having that conversation, yeah, which is crazy.
3: Totally. Yeah. Again,
2: things we probably don't recommend yeah. to anyone else. Yeah,
0: we did. Yeah. yeah, we got married and we were like, and I was like, well, because most of the time when you hear people like say, yeah, we got married at nineteen, like they're like serious evangelical Christians. Totally. Yeah. yeah, my dad was like, you're gonna
2: you're gonna get married, you're gonna go down there, you're gonna be pregnant in a year. Like he was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. this is a bad idea.
3: <laughs> yeah. I know. No, it was, didn't yeah, happen that way. We didn't, but we had no. zero theological discussion going. We were like, we both sort of vaguely had said. We believe in God and we believe in Jesus, and to me that meant one thing. That meant Mm -hmm. like my Southern Baptist upbringing. Like, well, obviously Tim Shell believes in this checklist of things. Assumed. And then as soon as we got married, Tim Shell was was like, like, "The
2: the Jesus thing's a little weird." Like that
3: (laughs) is a problem, actually. And I was like, "Whoa!" You know, like this is really heavy duty. You know, lots of talk. We're already married at that stage, and we're we're like, "What does it mean?" So anyway, we started. I think that was
2: good because it was good for you too. Like there was things you hadn't talked about, and you were in a certain place, and I was in a certain place, and we really were able to find a third place that was complete even though my family had yeah. a Catholic background I mean it wasn't even in our cultural mythology like it wasn't even in our family sure we went to London for a summer with this professor and we went to Brompton Oratory yeah. incredible parish and they stood up and said the creed and I'm such I was like, I believe in, I do not believe in one holy Catholic church. Like I stood up and said it. And it was just like, just real out of it. One of our friends who was another graduate student was teaching a C.S. Lewis class on the great divorce at a Catholic parish that was an hour, it was in Raleigh. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you should come and read this book. And that book was far out there enough and weird enough and kind of like hairy enough for us to both think it was interesting and not just like evangelical in that way, just sure. trying to say something. And so we started to read it, and as we were driving back and forth, halfway back, we were like, oh, my gosh, I think we're going to do the RCIA class. Like, this is weird. Mm.
3: Well, yeah, that it was, was really—we we took, like, we, we took one Lewis class on the, mm-hmm. the Great Horse at that church under this grad student that we loved. Yeah. He's, he's actually still teaches at um, Belmont, Belmont Abbey. Yeah. His name's Al Benthal. He's one of my favorite people in the world. He was the, kind of the right-hand guy to the professor that we loved. And so I mean, if they had said, like, you guys should take a class on the— um, I mean, this I don't know, whatever the most boring thing We would have taken whatever they they had suggested because they were not boring people and they didn't get involved mm-hmm. in boring things and they were incredibly intelligent. So we were like, yeah, you're teaching a class on which book? Four Loves. cSL yeah, sounds great. I think we did the Four Loves. We did the Great Divorce. And then, like, then they were like, hey, if you want to stick around, like, RCIA is next. for like, what's RCIA? And like, it's like a September to Easter class. If you stick around through the whole thing and you want to, you can become a Catholic. But you have to do this to become a Catholic. I'm like, that's yeah. not even on our radar, but... We went and then there we were. We jumped in, and it was yeah. it was where we were supposed
0: to be. It was, Watch your imaginations yeah. and you know. yeah,
2: yeah. And also, like, I don't think until we got to Nashville, we met other Catholics that were our age that actually chose to be <laughs> yeah. Catholic. So we've always kind of been like the weird ones in the room. I know That's normal. I worked <laughs> in a restaurant at that
3: time <laughs> because we had just, I think I had just graduated and Tim Schull was almost graduated and it was kind of like party bro restaurant right. kind of thing. Right. You know, it was waiting tables and these guys were like, dude, come party with us. And I was like, no, I've got to drive to Raleigh. Oh, what are you driving to Raleigh for? Well, I'm converting to Catholicism. <laughs> and they were like, oh, dude, crazy, man.
0: And I'm like, what are you,
3: you getting married? And I was like, I, you no, know, I'm nobody actually.
0: Nobody goes that direction. I I yeah.
1: yeah.
3: I it was like, I was, I they were like, you getting married? I'm like, I'm, I'm actually already married. I've been married for a couple of years. Like, that's even weirder, man. Insane. Yeah. saying like, you is she a Catholic? Bad. I'm like, well, we're both joining together. Like, so you don't have any background in the Catholic church? Like, no, <laughs> you, you don't have to get, you know, Where's where the outside Catholic? pressure? Yeah,
0: yeah even
2: time. the people in the church would be like, what? What yeah. are you doing? Yeah.
0: <laughs> it was great. Well, so it's kind of all these things happen at once. Like your marriage starts to develop, your faith mm-hmm. starts to develop, your music starts to develop. Is it all intertwined kind of in your minds and your imaginations? or?
3: Yeah, yeah. P- pretty mm-hmm. much. It was, I mean, that was like, mm-hmm. yeah, the frying pan was hot at that point. Like mm-hmm. there was a lot of... A lot of stuff in it. And what's funny is, like, Logan and I and Tim Charles especially, we were entirely innocent of Christian music and honestly still are. Like, I just we just don't know. Yeah. Being in town here, it's been a huge, like, I have no idea when people are name dropping because they're just like, <laughs> dude, that was so-and-so. And I'm just like, amazing. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, that was really funny. So, like, faith and music, you know, in that way, mm-hmm. like, there was never a temptation or a... Desire actually or, yeah, to, combine to, to be that like, work in that yeah, work. so it was, to yeah, do faith music. Is that, you're, is
2: yeah, that what you're saying? Yeah, completely. De- yeah, we definitely needed our faith to be in the music industry. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Different. But yeah, but as far <laughs> as like, yeah,
3: like those two things, which are incredibly overlap for so many people, were like mm-hmm. never even like, in the same room mm. for us. Music was like these secular bands, and it was like painting or something. I don't know. It was just, it was, it was like, this I mean, is an art in form. In the sense it was
0: like, it was work. It was like, yeah, theater. exactly. Yeah. yeah.
3: I mean, mm-hmm. and songwriting was like, yeah. It, was a, yeah, it wasn't like there was no, it never was anything. Just
2: worship music wasn't what we were going to sure. do, ever. That's true, and there was
3: yeah. no, like, you know, I'm actually kind of grateful there was not, uh, like, a, a um. and there's nothing wrong with this in the world, but I'm grateful there wasn't a praise band or something. So I, in my church, there was, just like, a, yeah. a guy with a piano. And so that, like, when I started to play music with my brother in the basement, it wasn't like, oh, you know, we're going to—I yeah. mean, as soon as we left, they got a praise band, and the, and, the, and they actually <laughs> came up with a great band out of that band. that was, like, a, yeah. another— Bunch of little great songwriters, but like, anyway.
2: We had a couple people that we worked with really early on that were new Christians. And it was like a big conversation for them. You know what your vocation is artistically. You know where you're supposed to fit sometimes. That was the thing about that professor is it was like, a lot of our professors at UNC, it was like, there wasn't secular and faith. As far as the artists or the writers or the thinkers or, yeah. and that just wasn't what it was. It was like people that were saying good things and doing good work yeah. in their realm. And that's just kind of how we approached music. And it came out in a certain shape and that's what happened. But there was people we would work with that would put that pressure on us. Like, what are you going to say here? And What are you going to say? And we were so oh, young yeah. that it would feel like we had to really consider that and like mm-hmm. discern if that was their thing that they needed to deal with, or sure. if it was something that we needed to deal with, you know what sure. was appropriate for Just us. Just that
0: pressure to be yeah, like, well, you are like, Christians; you should be singing about yeah, Jesus like, in every song. Yeah, yeah, like,
2: can you be in this magazine or can you do this? And it, you know, those are all discerning decisions that you make. But yeah. it's not as and an, it's not as one to one. It's a little bit more nuanced. So for you guys,
0: music was was more like, in a sense, it was like, hey, here's this whole marketplace, like here's this whole world that we want to participate in, not necessarily like there was nothing that attracted you to the Christian subculture.
3: Well, you know, it existed really. And it's hard to, it's hard to actually like, it's hard. Like there was one poster on our youth group ball of Al Dinson. (laughs) I don't that know was it. Yeah, so. I don't. Yeah, I mean, like yeah. he, you know, it was like a poster. That was like our our decoration. Yeah. I mean, other than that, it was like like maybe sports stuff, like mm-hmm. you know, go Carolina or go Tennessee, vault or like whatever. Yeah. Like that's not downplaying the fact that like we did a, had a, like I loved our youth group. and everything. It was like incredible, and the youth pastor was just unbelievable. There, there wasn't a big like yeah. when we got in our youth van. Honestly, they listened to Leonard Skinnerd and Neil yeah. Young and like you know certain songs they didn't listen to, but like you know that was sort <laughs> of yeah. like right. it wasn't like okay now we're gonna. Right. listen to Petra or whatever. Like my dad did buy a Logan and I a Christian tape one time of Petra and like yeah. it lasted for like 10 minutes. And we all, I always felt guilty when I didn't listen to it. So I was like, oh, I should probably be throwing on that thing. I just don't, it doesn't sound as good as like yeah. Def Leppard or whatever. It's like ridiculous. <laughs> you know, like.
2: It just felt like there's artistically too, we were participating in a different conversation. Like yeah. th- I think when you're doing praise and worship music, there's a conversation you're definitely engaging with sure. and you feel compelled to. And that just wasn't the conversation that we were
3: and I think and that's and participating. Yeah, yeah, vocation's a huge that's a huge thing for I think for us. And it was honestly like an artistic angle. Our success or lack of success, I think it's reflected in the fact that like we were like felt called to do this one thing and we thought it was gonna be like, wow, that's gonna be incredibly successful. Not because we thought we were <laughs> doing good, market we research or whatever, we just thought sounds good to us. So obviously <laughs> it's gonna sound good to everybody. Not no not the case. Like, but, <laughs>
1: There's a quarter moon that knows the hours I'm keeping. And the good at highway is showing back its light. There's a bay-
0: So talk to me about like now, sort of years later, you've been doing the work, you know, you've been walking with your faith for the season. Like, Do you feel like your faith informs your work or the way you think about beauty or the way you think about art?
2: Yeah, absolutely. We were talking about it last night because I was like, I think the intoxicating thing about talking to artists about the creative process, one, it's really fun just to get them to be able to talk about it on a practical level because there's no one way to do it. It's completely mysterious, but it's really like love because you're just, it's so joyful and so painful all Mm -hmm. in one thing, but it's always been metaphor. Like every record we've made, I feel like I'm always always like, this is a metaphor. This is a metaphor for the, (laughs) like, I feel like I've learned more about the rest of my life from making Mm -hmm. art every single time we go to make something because it's, you're involved with something else that's completely out of your control. You're dependent on it. And at the same time, you're hopeful that it'll deliver. You can't really do anything You can't really make anything happen, but you are essential to the process. It's darkness and light all in one moment. That's what is enticing to me about making art, like whatever it is, whether it's making music, whether it's trying to edit something, whether it's painting something, it's just a participation with something. And I think inside of music, when you're talking with artists, there isn't a language that has been defined by church culture. Mm -hmm. And so people feel like they can actually talk about it a little bit more honestly, because It's uncertain. It's like moving, you know, it's not as pinned down. And that leads to a lot of really beautiful conversations. So, I mean, I think it's directly related to beauty.
3: The only thing I've ever engaged, especially as we get older that I'm aware of, is like just engaging with with things that I think are beautiful. And and that can be like things that are very backwards to some people's ears. Like if you listen to like the Ronettes or the Supremes, these type of things, like to my, you know, sensibility, that's like, or it could be like, I mean, it could be Black Sabbath. I could be like when, anything that's sure. well made and working. You know what I mean? Like you go, like this is as good as it gets. And it could be like Kendrick Lamar, like different things. Like, yeah. You know, as I get older, I know how odd this is for myself. I'm more quick to cry. Obviously, I cry at my kids' stuff. All the kids like maybe me cry all the time. But like, yeah. I'll cry at a pop song. Like, and I mean like bad, cheesy <laughs> yeah. pop songs. Not yeah. like maybe current bad cheesy pop songs. But like, if it's well made and I, it just yeah. it's overwhelming, and I was like that is, and Tim Schell just laughs because I'm like standing in the kitchen making pancakes <laughs> like, man, this is like really, really great. You know, like in yeah. in my faith and in my world, like there's only one source for anything that's beautiful, even though like, you know, people might not be aware or acknowledge or desire or have anything to do, any desire of sure. where that source of beauty comes from. It doesn't bother me that they wouldn't, that they don't, in my brain, I feel like this is coming from, you know, the same place that all beauty comes from. I think
2: that experience of encounter like that we have when we're making, when we make something or even before it's finished and you're kind of like in this conversation, like that's definitely presence. Mm -hmm. Maybe this would be a fault, but I definitely chase that in art Mm -hmm. all the time and look for that in good art and can feel it when it's happening. Mm -hmm. And it has nothing to do with if the person who's written it is professed a belief, it actually Mm -hmm. just has to do with have they put language to what it means to be here and have that encounter with something that I recognize. Yeah.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, working not in the Christian music world, you're always dealing with people that, like, the best artists coming from people who have no desire to even touch, you know, like, mm-hmm. how do you make sense of that? I don't know. I mean, like, yeah. the good art's good art. And there's no accounting for taste and blah, blah, blah. You know, like, but, yeah. you know.
0: But there is this thing, too, like, I hear it a lot in Christian circles. Like, well, because you're a believer, you know, you're closer to the source. Like, your art should be better. Oh, uh, I actually it, think
2: sometimes that's the opposite case. No,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I
3: think, I actually think that most uh-huh. Christian music that I hear is, is incredibly awful. I, I just think it do just think doesn't that is? work that way. I think that the priesthood of all believers is a doctrine that makes bad artwork. I'm not saying it's a bad doctrine, but I say at least sure. bad artwork. I mean, like, yeah. and because you can't be a preacher and a killer pop songwriter, maybe you can, <laughs> but it hasn't happened yet in big cities. Like, and it's like if you're trying to write a good pop song, listen to Be My Baby. You know what I mean? Like, listen to She Loves You, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. It's like the lyrical content when you're trying to force it into a place mm-hmm. of like. I'm going to convince you of the passion narrative and its truth in this three minutes. You're destined to make relatively bad
0: artwork unless mm-hmm. you are Because you're accepting a certain kind of constraint. Well, yeah, just, and
2: you kind of have to get out of the way. You have to get out of the way of what it's going to do, and it has to trump what you're going to do. Yeah, You can't have the last word.
3: I feel like there's just a misguided enough. Man, you can edit all this out of here because like, <laughs> For I, like I know we are this making highly controversial. But we true. do have strong opinions true, about yeah. the fact that like you can't— like. Yeah, you're going to lead to insanity. I worry about young people who feel like they get to throw the baby out of the bathwater where it's like, if I don't really go in for all the music mm-hmm. or, or if I liked it when I was in high school and I get to college and somebody plays me like what fill in the blank, whatever music that's really deeply beautiful and moving yeah. and it has no connection to faith. Well then does that mean that this is yeah. somehow less valid? It has mm-hmm. nothing to do with the truth or falsehood. To of what you know, like whatever your you know what your faith is talking about, and so I feel like that those confusing, literally confusing those two things, like, is incredibly problematic, and it's actually confused to start with. Like you hang sheetrock for a living. Like you like do you get home and like does your pastor ask you like, well, how many souls did you convert today? It's like that's a dumb example, but it's also kind of like hanging sheetrock is a thing, writing pop songs is a thing. You know what I mean? Like actually making movies is a thing. There's a ton of bad Christian art. It's like. It's everywhere. And they're not to say that, that all of it's bad. Sure. Because there's a lot of things that are great. But the great things typically aren't hitting you over the head with like Right. In case you're wondering. I think <laughs> you need know, to have uncertainty, too. Like, this, you know?
2: I think a big thing about it is being uncertain and being okay with being uncertain. And mm-hmm. that's, like, part of what makes good art. And being okay with darkness and being okay with it not being defined. But, like, also dark and hairy stuff that just mm-hmm. is there. That's what makes things beautiful, both things existing and not having an answer about them and not having a definitive statement about what they are that, they're, that you're just participating in it and bearing witness to that, I think is very essential to art being compelling, generative, you know, something that lasts longer.
0: It's frightening in a sense. Mm -hmm. It's like this high wire act that if you're going to, whether you want to make music or you want to write novels or whatever, you have to sort of throw yourself out there and let the work, let the work guide, like let the imagination guide. I've thought often about kind of Christian art is that it's desperately desiring to be rationally driven, to make sure that we get the right ideas in there, Mm -hmm. as opposed to kind of letting the imagination in the driver's seat and the imagination does what it wants to do in a sense, right? Like it takes you places that the rational mind may be really uncomfortable going. So you have to throw yourself into it and just... I hope you land, right? I hope you stick the landing, I guess.
2: <laughs> you can tell when you have an artist who is not being gentle or empathetic or sensitive to, mm-hmm. in a negative way with you, whether they're Christian artists or not, in a secular way too. Like if yeah. they're writing something and they're trying to manipulate you in a dark yeah. way. Like that, yeah, you can tell that too. Bad, it's the same problem. There's
0: plenty of bad secular art. Yes. And there's oh, plenty of loads. people who are trying to do the same kind of doctrinal things, whether it's politics or whatever. Oh, yeah. Actually, oh, yeah. the
3: worst songs are protest songs <laughs> for the most part. I mean, yeah. you, you could make the exact same argument that I'm making yeah. about it. And mm-hmm. I and I do make that argument if you were like, you know, why don't you know why don't you write a politically motivated song? It's like, well you can It's just that if you plain face it, it just sucks. It, it's, it's bad. it's just, yeah. it, it's always it's always it going sucks. to be bad. I mean, yeah. like and like I think that some of the even the best artists that are, like I'm writing a political song, it's like that's the most boring song you're gonna write. You know, like <laughs> yeah, and it, yeah. you almost know music is uh-huh. there. Uh, <laughs> their protest. Music, sure. I mean, even like legendary people like you know, like yeah. Pete Seeger and people who are like we're amazing um, artists, and like they're sure. like you don't listen to their whole catalogue and go, you know what, I'm thank you for writing that protest song because it really moves me. He's like it doesn't. And I hope that I yeah. got something done at that moment, but it's bad art. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like for sure. and-
2: you can feel an artist grasping, and that's usually when you're like, This is a beautiful thing. You can see mm-hmm. that they're really trying to put language around something, and that's mm-hmm. part of it too, and that it's not closed. That they're yeah. like that effort is part of it being beautiful. Yeah. You know, not being certain.
0: I mean, you mentioned Kanye earlier. Like, I think Yeezus is the record that he made the whole record and then he scrapped it and went to the studios with Rick Rubin and kind of redid the whole thing. I mean, I think that record's brilliant. And part of what makes that record brilliant is there is this sense of desperation. There is this sense of, like, you can tell listening to it that he was on a quest for something that eluded him and maybe eluded him to the very end. I mean, but that record has, like, this haunting... Desperation to it. Yeah.
3: So you're totally right. When you go to hear somebody talk that you want to hear, like mm-hmm. I'm going to go to a lecture. I'm going to go to. I mean, nobody goes to lectures, I guess. I'd, I mean, I'd love to. <laughs> I would love lectures, we but do. like, but like, if you go to if you go Sunday morning and to hear somebody speak, you know, mm-hmm. it's like you're there contextually to be moved in a particular way, mm-hmm. and it feels different than when you're going out to go get, you know, like a drink with a friend or a cup of coffee with a friend or going out to watch a movie. I mean, like you know, like when you watch Netflix, you're in a different. Everything's contextually yeah. important and then like hearing a pop song and what you could get out of that emotionally yeah. like hearing that desperation and identifying that in yourself yeah. or whatever thing, is like that's incredibly more transformational mm-hmm. than somebody explaining anything to you mm-hmm. unless you just happen to be motivated by that all the time and yeah. some people maybe are but like the yeah. vast majority of us are, are not Jackie when we were in high school. I used to like
1: but i Some people don't know a thing. Some people don't learn a thing that they've to the very end of the street.
0: A few years ago, Skip and Tim Shell created something called Drinks With. These are basically interviews, some in American Songwriter Magazine, some in their podcast, where they sit down with artists and talk about the creative process. They talk to people like David Sedaris, Dolly Parton, Bell and Sebastian, and more.
3: We just selfishly wanted to chat with people that we thought were really cool and wanted to hear. (laughs) Because we were making records and writing songs, we were like, man. Uh, The first interview we did was a band called Wild Beast from England. Their second record came out, and... We got invited to play a show with them in New York. It was like the two two American shows they were doing. Mm. We got that, an opening slot, which is great. Mm. And, we, and then they had a ton of good press come out. We'd have never gotten that opening slot if, like, if that happened. <laughs> yeah. you know, like luckily, we were on the bill before this, like, <laughs>
1: yeah.
3: before they, like, I think they got Best New Music or something. You know, like, whatever it was, it was like, oh, I'm so glad we are on this bill because it wouldn't have happened otherwise. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, <laughs> and I was working, I do, I've always done, like, web development, like, in the tour van or whatever. And that, now we don't at all anymore, really. But like, yeah. that's been like how I've paid the bills. And so I was doing that for American Songwriter Magazine. Mm. And they were friends of ours. And they were, at that time, the owners, these two young guys, and they're still partial owners, I think. But I was like, hey, Robert, can I interview this band mm. um, and ask him about the creative process? He was like, sure, sounds great. So like, mm. we went in and interviewed those guys first and it was fun and they seemed to enjoy it and we got a kick out of it. And so... We did Jason Isbell next, and this is before Southeastern. We had kind of gotten sober oh, and everything, so, but he was—you, yeah. uh, I mean—you uh, could hear that interview. He's sharp as a tack. He was unbelievable when yeah, we talk about books, did. and it was incredible. And then uh, we did like Fran Healy from Travis. We were touring. We, we owned like doing a few shows with Jason Isbell back then, so we were just like, "Oh, cool, we'll do it with the people we tour with."
2: We started to really do it selfishly because we were wanted to either talk to the people that were our friends about making art, but sure. also because we were making records. And like I said, it was like you kind of just want to know all the tricks that everybody did right. and you can try it and see if it works for you. You're like, right. well, maybe this will make it happen this time yeah. for us. And then it was like so obvious that that doesn't get talked about enough between musicians. And it was such a relief to get to talk about it, that yeah. was really fun. So then it was like, this is great. Like, And it leads to everything else. Like Talking about trying to make art is, really ends up being a conversation about everything else. And it's a doorway mm-hmm. into a room that I don't think you could get to yeah. as easily as we did. And that yeah. was... Really, really fun. So then we started to do artists, like visual artists and writers. Mm. And we've done some comedians and some chefs, but it's just kind of yeah. like we use this context of let's talk about make like let's talk about what you do is the craft that you do it, and then it ends up being just a great way to talk friend to friend about what it's like living life, making yeah. what we're making.
3: I think it helps that we're not coming from the journalist side of the world. So you just know what questions not to ask, I guess, or like to make yeah. it awkward. Cause you can't ask a comedian. And I, I actually did this, but you can't say, like, how do you write a joke? You know, it's just sort of like <laughs> a bit too on the nose. You know, it's like the evolution of that quickly was that we, at that stage when we started that call publicist or whatever, like we tried to get Arctic Monkeys. This is ages ago, 2009. Yeah. And because we'd done the Wild Beast interview, they were on the same label. Like we were able to land an interview when mm. they were kind of saying no to other people because the label had liked this interview. And so mm. we drove to Chicago to do that. That was when we were, com- we were like, okay, we're committing to this interview series because we we're like, we're driving over at Tim kids' to Tim's parents' house, we're driving to Chicago, and we're going to chat with these guys. And that interview went really well. And after mm. that, then that was like, it was easier to say, this is an interview series because we've done all these artists. And like. So yeah. then, then
0: it kind of went forward from there. Who are some of your favorite interviews you've done?
2: Alex is always fun. The Arctic Monkeys are always fun. David Sedaris was probably
0: oh, goodness. one of the most fun. It. That was yeah. really,
2: really fun. He was so generous and he's obviously, I think he would be fun for anybody to talk to at any point. Right. And he just let us come to his hotel room and talk to him for a really long time. Yeah. He was a blessing. I really like talking to Joshua Ferris, who's a writer. I just had, it was the first interview I did when we had our last baby and I was thinking, oh my gosh, we're never going to write again. <laughs> and I was pretty hormonal, almost saying there just talking to him. About a lot of my questions were normal questions and then they were like, how, what if you never think you're ever gonna write again? <laughs> just very bare, <laughs> and he was so wonderful. Like he was just fantastic. I remember him saying, "Like you just want to have really modest expectations." When mm. <laughs> and I think I've thought about that a zillion times. Yeah, he was a great. Who are some of your favorite?
3: Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton, wow. unbelievable. Mm. That's a great interview. Like, and she was like, I think they took place at like seven in the morning, and that was mm. her second round of interviews that day. So we were like we showed up and she was just full Dolly and I think the thing that was so unbelievable about that, we talked about this yesterday, was we expected her to have the greatest canned answers because she's been doing interviews for like 60 years or whatever. We were just like, This is gonna be amazing, but I'm expecting sort of her not to to her to kind of be on autopilot to a degree because totally the opposite. I mean Mm -hmm. and we interviewed Kenny Rogers too, which is an amazing interview. He was a little more on autopilot, he'd been like doing interviews all day, and it was like he were here getting great stories and he was as personal as you could imagine. But you didn't really feel like he was ever losing the script that he has Bless his heart. I'm sorry to say, bless. But cut me saying bless. Her. I but like you know, bless Kenny Rogers. He was you know he was like he'd been doing it for years, and, I, and that was great. And I was an, uh, honored to sit there and, and yeah. hear these answers. That being said, Dolly Parton was like totally engaged with everything and really yeah. fended some absolutely bad questions. Oh, terrible you know, questions and like a lot of people. And she was like, "Well, I, you know, let me think about that." And it was just like, <laughs> "Oh my gosh, this yeah. woman is she's like really big, present. And yeah, really she's like a miracle yeah. worker. She's like yeah. shooting light from her fingertips."
2: I also like with musicians like there's just and this would always bother me just being a reader and someone who actually liked to learn things, that mm-hmm. it, there's such a stigma to being smart if you do rock music. Yeah. And so because we're talking about, like, what's your song mean? Either you kind of, you either wiggle under that and you can't move or else you have mm-hmm. nothing to say. So it really brought out some great interviews. Like, Jason Hisbell was fantastic mm-hmm. in that regard. And that was great to show that side, to be like, mm-hmm. this is important. Like, this is a craft that yeah. has a history and he's honoring it. And at the, at the time, I remember he was, Yeah, I guess you were saying that he wasn't so, like, that was before the, yeah, the record. The but Recon- he was reading all the Pulitzer's. And he was going oh. through them. So we were talking about books. And I was like, this is fantastic. Like, this isn't going to... People need to hear that that he's doing this. Yeah, he's Listen. got this
0: incredible intellect. And, yeah, it's just yeah.
2: fantastic. And even like when we did Julian Casablanca, he is such a celebrity. Yeah. And so there's always a moment when we talk to someone like that. I'm sure you would understand where you're waiting to see which question will get them to forget that. Yeah. And you can actually talk to them. And so there was definitely a moment when like, I don't, like, you don't know what it, it was, go. yeah, but he'd shifted, yeah. and, and
3: then we, then he, like, he literally then it, started to reverse everything he'd say. We were like, <laughs> you like, you read any books? He's like, no, I don't read anything, like, not on the road. And then, like, fast forward 20 minutes, and, and he, he goes, well, I mean, I do have two books in the tour bus right now, and it's the Iliad and the Bible. And we were just like,
1: <laughs> and I was like, you know, I,
3: awesome. there's a big swing from going to I don't read anything to, you know, I've got the Iliad and the Bible, right? I mean, like, yeah. I don't know if it was the Iliad, it might have been The Odyssey. It was Homer, and, yeah. and it was like... That's the one thing we're just trying to do. Sometimes you only have 20 minutes or 30 minutes and, yeah. sure. and you, it's like, you know, how quickly can we break down whatever's like mm-hmm. between two normal people that have never met they're like, I yeah. I'll do this all the time. It's mm-hmm. fine. And that, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, and there's something to being like a rock star. Like you have this persona that you have to carry and you have to protect, yeah. you know. And so trying to get just under the surface of that, and get Julian Casablancas to talk about how he's reading Homer. Yes. Yeah. I mean he was really
2: like watching a witch melt because he was like, he would tell us about it. He's like, yeah, looking in the mirror the whole time, like doing yeah. his hair. And then he was like, forget it. And by the end, it he was, was like totally he was relaxed. The nicest, most that amazing. Was
3: nice. Yeah, but he did. Like, when we walked in, he was like watching a Mets game. And he goes, oh, before we did this interview, he like put on a leather jacket and put on something. Else. He goes, this is my costume. I'm sorry. It's not you. It's me. Wow, that's fascinating. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. And that's like, and he, yeah. So, that was one of our favorite interviews,
2: too. Like, everybody is. He's desperate to talk about—I the I mean, he works really hard. He yeah. works really hard, not on the celebrity, yes, but, like, on the writing and on yeah. the thinking yeah. about what he's doing. And so, like, you yeah. barely ever get to talk about that or get to, like, show that that's part of it. You know, yeah. that's a bigger part of it than the celebrity. And so yeah. that's neat. It's kind of like—it feels like a gift in that moment.
3: Yeah. 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 Noel Gallagher was one of my personal favorites because he was sort of mm. the guy that made me think— oh man, this guy that I could write songs because he wrote, you know, like he was just like mm. from some small town and, you know, he was from Burnage or whatever, outside out of Manchester. And I was like, when I heard that was like, that was a big inspiration for me and my brother. And so mm. we chatted with him a couple of years ago in town and that was like yeah. a lot of
1: fun.
0: you guys have really sort of between what you're doing with Roman candle and what you're doing with drinks with like you've devoted yourself to the creative process as a whole, you know, and there's like, this is a big part of your life and in like today's economy, that's not a practical thing, you know? So (laughs) you're
2: our parents.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I guess I would say like, why do it? And what would you say to somebody who, you know, you talk to and they're like, yeah, I want to be a writer. I want to be a musician. I want to be an artist. Like, how would you encourage them or or discourage them
1: so I father the
3: second wrote this letter to artists which is something I think everybody should read you don't have to be a you have to be a Catholic to read that and I was like you don't <laughs> it's, it's it's incredible though because he his story is amazing in that he was really into acting and into drama like he's, he has a crazy uh, life story anyway but he, he has this really amazing letter that we read early on. I don't. I think it's really newly-catholic, but it basically was, it, you know, it calls out the idea of you know, art being a vocation, and then he said it's really problematic to sort of intertwine commerce with that mm-hmm. or an expectation for some sort of... And that was, unfortunately, not what we wanted to hear because we were like, I'd like to make a living at this. But it was incredibly encouraging over time because out of the gate having no expectations there gave us kind of license I feel like to pursue the things that made sparks in our imagination and, and that's kind of what we've done for better for us and we, we haven't made a nickel on anything in a long time and it's not been glamorous in that we're way And, a I, nickel. and Yeah, yeah
2: we <laughs> a, a couple nickels
3: <clears> That's <throat> true but like, you know but I, I have I have really worked and anybody that knows us and our family like knows like you know, I, I have like I work for now I work for the Preemptive Love Coalition and I have like a full on like job doing this come out of like web development and other things. And I, there was a time when we actually decided like either we could, especially living in Nashville, you can like do things that will allow you to potentially make more money. Like let's get in with the guys that are going to write songs that are basically just to fill a spot in Grey's Anatomy. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. A lot of, I think it's amazing. And it sure. is, a but you're also trying to hit a mood. It's a different exercise. It's like yeah. building a cabinet. Yeah. And we were like, we have limited amount of time to do this. mm mm-hmm in the day with our family, like, do we want to try and gamble on that or do we just want to do the things that we feel called mm-hmm. to do? And we ended up doing that. And and that is honestly, that was, I would recommend somebody do the same, yeah. unless you're really good at the cabinet making, and a lot of people are. If you're great at that, it comes natural, and you get do it, run with yeah. it. But, like,
2: but even our friends who do that will say it's a very different animal than yeah. making records. Like, it's yeah. just a completely different animal.
3: And we didn't want to, I think the things we kept saying is we can't put pressure on music to make money or else we'll hate it. Yeah. yeah. And
2: um we love it too much. Yeah. We just went and saw George Saunders speak and don't want to talk about politics but he was responding kind of to <laughs> politics and was saying, my response is just keep making art. I think as an artist you constantly feel like I know that I'm supposed to be making it and then is there any purpose that's just like your life question no. like that's your own psychosis that you just carry with you. But I feel like every single time all at all time is so essential because if there weren't artists making art, you wouldn't have empathy, you wouldn't have curiosity, you wouldn't have. Yes. It's just, it's so essential to our culture. And when we yeah. kind of polarize ourselves, art is the thing that allows there to be fluidity between the two poles. And so I think, like, right. you, especially whether you're making money on it or not, if you can make it, just keep doing it because mm-hmm. we, it is so essential and it's so undervalued and we really, really need it as a culture.
1: The first he sings, and then he goes. And what it means. It's hard to know.
0: Man, I love those two people. All right. My friend Lachlan complained recently that we aren't doing previews anymore. So stay tuned, Lachlan, and you'll hear a preview of next week's show. But first, Cultivated is a production of Harbor Media and the Narrativo Group. If you want to learn more about Narrativo, go to narrativogroup.com. Our link's in our show notes. Our show today was produced by me. It was recorded and edited by T.J. Hester. It was mixed by Mark Owens. Our music today was by Roman Candle. We've got one episode left for 2017, and it's a doozy. So come back next week for my conversation with screenwriter, creator of the TV show Billions, and host of my favorite podcast, Brian Koppelman you know, the line between being delusional, being an artist is very thin, right? Because you're crazy right up until it works. That is the same as in a startup in a certain way. I mean, because that messianic thing can be bad. I mean, you and I have talked about that in a different context. I know you feel it too, that it can be a bad thing. And so when you have that certainty, you just have to i feel you know run some checks on yourself in some way i mean it's important to know like i didn't think that the thing i was going to start and write right away was going to be great i just knew i had to start doing it to feel like a person to feel alive see you next week